All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. It's Neil and Zoe with you studio. And we are joined by Tom Floyd, who has had a terrific career, spent a great deal of time at Facebook, worked across a variety of functional areas, which you might speak to a little bit, but really was the ambassador for rolling out podcasting in that area, has moved on to an exciting new adventure that I'd love for him to talk about as well. But really want to talk to Tom uh, across a few areas, wherever the conversation goes, but a couple of them that are really interesting, of course, to me and I, and I think to others would be the grand vision about how did podcasting become a pillar of that overall training and learning strategy that he oversaw. And, and then naturally, content is a big area of focus as uh, people are ramping up their podcast initiatives. And Tom had a really successful process in, in which you know he partnered with an agency, but kind of understanding you know the strategy versus the execution and how he balanced that, I think would be really interesting too. So Tom, did I summarize that pretty well? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I wasn't exactly the ambassador for the whole company. I just happened to be the person who took on internal podcast first. Oh, good point. Good point. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point because it was rolled out at different areas for different groups, different audiences, but not across all strata is a good distinction. So yes, that's right. Facebook does have an external podcast called Three and a Half Degrees that had been available. But yeah, this was the company's first time taking on internal podcasts. Well, talk to me a little bit about your time at Facebook, or maybe maybe more specifically, just in terms of thinking about being effective at training and figuring out ways to engage audiences in a meaningful way. And, and eventually, you worked your way into podcast as a potential solution for that. I'd love to hear a little bit about that thought process, how you kind of went about planning for that, and, and then ultimately kicking a program active with Studio. Sure. I'll share a few things and then guide me from there. So, I mean, I would say with learning overall right now, I think for all of us, just, just as people, we want things in smaller chunks. We are busier than we've ever been before. All of us, we are navigating more complexity than we've ever navigated before in our lives because the world has gotten very complex and we can no longer get everything off of our to-do list. It's impossible. Great work by a group called the Energy Project that I'm a huge fan of and certified in that basically says, for the first time in human history, we are facing a capacity crisis, not just a US thing, something that everybody in the world is feeling. So specifically what that means is we don't have a lot of time. And when we want to learn something new, we know what we need, when we need it, and we want it then. And ideally, I mean, I say this kind of with a playful tone. It's like, you know what? I want a Harvard MBA and I need it in 30 minutes, <laughs> which is hard. It is. God, we would all love that. And it's really hard to do. And it's interesting because we will also, we as people, will kind of talk out both sides of our mouth. Because if you asked a lot of us to list our preference, like how I want to learn, we would go to our default, which is I really like learning in the classroom. I like the engagement with other people. And yeah, I learn best that way. But can you do that in 30 minutes? I can't step away from my desk for a full day. I, I can't be gone for God help me for two days or three days. So it's, there's a tension, I think, in the learning field in general right now, a healthy tension, not a bad one around how do you get me small bite-sized micro content that I need in the moment with how do I get the engagement and the ability to apply what I'm learning that I would get in a classroom setting. And 
I also think it's really a system where you're not over relying on just one way because we all learn in different ways. So the journey that, that I've been focused on for a while is in totality, how do you get, what's the combination of channels and modalities out there that help each of us learn a new skill or take on a new mindset? And if I used a casual example with it, it's, hey, if you are working with someone who they've read a great article or a great book, they've listened to a couple podcasts on the same topic, they went to a four-hour class that covered the same thing, and they worked with an executive coach for a couple of sessions on it. In totality, did all of those things take them to the next level? And each of those are, a, it's a collection in total of different types of learning in that case. So... For me, podcasts are very powerful and that I think they are really changing how we communicate also. And it's such a great intersection between learning and communication. And that made them powerful. That still, I think, makes them incredibly compelling. It meets those needs. I can't get it all off my list. I'm on the go. I want the engagement and I need it in small chunks. So yeah, it it almost sounds like by... By condensing the breadth, it gives you some freedom to elongate the depth. I don't know if I could actually put length and depth in the same sentence grammatically, but I, I just did anyway. So, But to your point, can I do it? I mean, obviously, podcasting plays such a role or we, we see it pop up in the commute, you know, and if that's the 30-minute commute, driving or not, or what have you. And so in the industry of training and figuring out how to key in on those things, like I guess everything, wading through the vast amount of content created historically and being created, you know, every second, what do they say? The library of Congress gets filled every second with content or some crazy stat like that, finding those pieces or even producing those pieces and making them stick and having them fit, like you said, in, in, in within a medium that fits in with everybody's already too busy day. Real challenge, I guess, in your field in general. Is that right? It is a challenge. Yeah. It's the challenge between no singular small thing will get you everything that you need to learn about something new, rarely. In totality, a collection of things over time is one thing that I'm seeing that gets people there. So I use, I'm a very eclectic kind of dude, and I use a lot of metaphors and analogies. And one way that I think about building micro content or podcasts or a part of it, I think of it like a runway show. So it's like, you need to know in the end that it's all one brand. So, okay, I'll talk about one of my favorite designers, Margiela. If you're sending Margiela down the runway, you need to know that everything's Margiela. Like, it's all part of the same collection, right? You're like, oh, yeah, that hoodie is clearly Margiela. And yeah, those pants go with it. And oh, my God, there's a suit that totally goes with it, too. But do you need all of those things based on what someone's learning? So for one thing, it could be like, you know what? You just need the baseball hat, the gym shorts, and the hoodie. That's it. For something else, it might be like, well, yeah, you need the gym shorts and the hoodie and the hat. But actually, you're going to need a suit. You're going to need three different shirts. You're going to need a couple pairs of shoes. By the way, you got to transition to evening because you've got that cocktail event too. So you're going to need a different belt for that and another bag and it's ultimately dependent on what you're trying to learn. So you might send more down the runway for that deeper stuff. I was the head of manager effectiveness and managers are a big part of what Florosity focuses on too. And some of the things, if we put managers as an example, and I think we can play with managers a lot, we can all relate to managers, right? We all have one or uh, we are one. 
The things that we need to learn as managers, they vacillate. There might be some things like how to do an effective one-on-one. You just need the hoodie, in my opinion, for that, the hoodie and the gym shorts and the hat. Like there's some great techniques to have an effective one-on-one that you can start using immediately to do it. If we go to the other end of the spectrum, for managers, the first time you're managing other managers, legit, that is a pivotal moment for all managers and leaders because it ultimately determines if they're able to scale or not. If you can't master leading other leaders and getting things done through them in a way where you are influencing and you're focused on the what and the why, but not the how, you're empowering them, you won't scale. That's not just the gym shorts and the hoodie and the hat. That's back to the the suit and the multiple shirts and the shoes and the transition to evening. And um, you need this you need this briefcase with it too. Like that's that's all of those things too. It's a harder one to master. It, it takes time. It takes practice. It takes application. Honestly, it takes vulnerability and learning from it too. No, I love that. I love that. I love that metaphor too. I think that's. Around here, I tend to talk in, in the same way, and so they always say, "Oh, there's another nihilism. Let's write that one down." So I, uh, I was right with you. I was right with you, stride for stride, and and I like that concept. Sort of, you know, you've heard it also sort of in a, a toolkit kind of thing, but I, I do like that that idea of if you are packing up, you have to pack for the audience and the series of audiences and what have you. And I don't know if I mentioned this at the intro, but training managers is an area which you focus on exclusively, right? It is a big part of my focus, yeah. So, I mean, with what Florosity does with the practice that I'm building, it's helping leaders, managers, and people grow. And our sweet spot is managers. In my opinion, managers are the largest population of leaders within a company and oftentimes, unfortunately, the most underserved. And I don't mean underserved for bad reasons. I don't think any company sets out there is like... Screw the managers. We don't have time to focus on them. Like, I don't, (laughs) it's not that. It's just kind of like we are moving fast. We're hiring fast. We are making individual contributors, managers for the first time. Our leaders are dealing with a lot of complexity. And if our leaders aren't successful, we won't be successful. And so there's a tendency to focus, I think, at the executive level a lot, or really at kind of the director level and above. But when it comes down to it, the largest population within a company. Our managers. And I think many of us, all of us probably have stories where it's like, yeah, that point that you hear around people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. We probably all have a story that we would share about that. So, well, I mean, that's a terrific segue into when we met a couple of months ago in San Francisco, I was really struck by hearing sort of your program approach to podcasting. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the way you thought of shows, thought of episodes. I, I especially like sort of that stories piece, I, I think that word in itself really encapsulates so much sort of about both a format, a way of thinking about how to have diverse content, but for a specific audience. And you even touched on some really interesting use cases that I'd love for you to share, you know, things like imposter syndrome or a variety of other items. I'd love to have you walk us through some of that if you wouldn't mind. Gosh, so many learnings there. I would say, I mean, another fun fact about me is I had a radio show for two years on coaching. Ultimately, I had no experience in it and ultimately ended up learning that what I one of the things I really wanted to be when I grew up was an executive coach. And I bring that up because a mistake I made, well, one of the mistakes I made was that I assumed what worked in radio would work in podcasts. And 
very much took an experimental approach with before we go live with this, let's pick a format. Let's pick what we're going to do, number of guests, topics, all of those things, and test it. Very much that engineering mindset or that scientific method mindset where we had clear hypotheses and clear things that we believed. And I'm so glad that testing was something that we did because one of the biggest things that we learned is that when you're podcasting, one of the things that's different is it's very intimate and you are the only voice in the person's ear that's listening to it. And you're often by yourself. Actually, I would argue probably 95% of the time we're by ourselves when we're listening it, we're commuting or something else. So it's very intimate in a way that radio isn't. And another thing that was just a clear standout as we tested it is that people wanted stories. Managers wanted stories, vulnerable, honest stories. And it gets back at that piece to link back to the beginning around, you know, when you're in a classroom setting, as an example, engagement wise, you do hear stories, you hear best practices, you hear what other managers are struggling with. And you're like, yeah, God, I experienced that same thing. Can we talk more about that? How do you handle that? And really having stories be the focus became important. Two things that all add to that and then pause and we can go from there is I think it was a reminder for me that when we were all cave people, storytelling was the first skill we developed. We've been telling stories for a long time, we, the human race, and it is our most powerful way of communicating to the point that we still uncover stories. And it was such a reminder for me, like, I'm like, duh, Tom, (laughs) people like stories. Why would I automatically not think about that? The second thing I would say that was so powerful, and I have to give mad props to our one of our other partners, Pacific Content, on this, is having a clear hook that makes it really clear about the types of stories that you're going to hear. And we did this, but then looking back up front, as I think about the next podcast that I want to do, part of the pre-content process is getting clear on what are the stories that you want to tell? What is the overall meta hook that is the title for the show that makes it super clear to the person listening to it? This is what you're going to get. There's lots of podcasts out there, but this is what you're going to specifically hear in this one podcast that immediately you're like, oh, I want to hear about that. I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to listen. But then also then, what are the hooks within each story? Back to the runway analogy within the collection. What's the story of the bag? What's the story of that pair of shoes? What's the story of the hoodie? It was game-changing. And when I say it was game-changing, it was game-changing in how people responded to it. Like it suddenly met a need and the sentiment shot up in terms of, not that it was negative the first time around, it was more neutral, but suddenly there was a lot more engagement. And it had to do with the stories that we started telling. What are some of the contrasts between sort of that first test pilot that you felt didn't really resonate? That was an interview style versus someone monologuing? Was it I'm interested, of course, in the logistics around were you having that first season? Did you say it was 10 episodes? Is that right? It ended up being 13 episodes. Season one was 13. 13. So was that 13 content producers? Or I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Did you have to coach them up about it? But also specifically about... What was it about the the initial try that didn't test well, which made you ultimately come across this this gold mine of an approach? So what I learned in that is the content worked. The topics were good topics. 
I felt like I also learned that managers, in this case, that consume podcasts are sophisticated. They like them. The people that intrinsically went towards them first were already listening to podcasts. That's the good news. Maybe I don't know if it's bad news. It's still good news. But the other part of that is because they like podcasts, they have high expectations. So they're like, I want this to mimic the experience that I have externally when I'm listening to podcasts. And I think it was knowing that we all probably have different definitions of what podcasts are. So for some people, it's like, hey, it's, you know, it's just video and it's just this. What I saw from managers during the test, they were like, nope, I like cereal. And I listened to that podcast and my expectation is, you know, it's going to be like this. And then the third piece was the validation that they liked it and naturally shared without knowing the runway analogy or any of that. Like, yeah, this is part of a system. This got me closer. It didn't get me all the way there, but I learned something from this. And I would say that in survey results, full stop, I didn't have to beat around the bush to ask people if they wanted stories. They tore down my door saying, give me stories. I'm expecting stories. I'm hearing great stories that get my attention right out of the gate in other podcasts. And I say this very affectionately. It was not a vibe of, I want this. The vibe was, and I demand this if you're going to do podcasts, because I love podcasts and I really want this to be good. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, so they love serial. They love that type of quasi narrated, but also has character input. That's interesting. That's really interesting, I think, because I think that can be very powerful, not just to hear that same voice. A lot of my favorite podcasts out that are broadcast are no surprise are, are sort of more interview conversation style. You know, I like, I like to hear sort of that human element. Now, mine are a lot of the times are, are they're across whether it's lifestyle or business or, you know, I mean, there's, there's a host of them and what have you. And so I agree with you that the best ones, they do seem to, I mean, there's definitely a formula to it, but there's also kind of that extra thing. And I'm wondering what was that extra thing about this stories show for managers kind of about their, life in the trenches and things like that, that, that you stumbled on that you think really kind of was a game changer. Was there just one or was it, do you think was, it was the product of, okay, we figured out the format. Let's come up with a really good game plan to execute on it. Gosh, so many ways that I, that I can answer those. A couple things. I think one with the content and I think anybody in any company, whether they're on a learning and development team, like I was, or on a marketing team or any of them, you know, your audience and you know, what's on your audience's mind. If you don't know what's on your audience's mind if you haven't checked in about that recently and tried to do a podcast, I think you'd be less successful because it goes back to that in the moment, relevant content about what they're thinking about. And I had a really strong grasp about that. And when I think about managers overall with through my own company, Florosity, there are big themes that managers are struggling with across the world right now. I hear them time and time again. And ongoing validation, ranging from the managing managers example I used to just first-time managers who are like, I don't know how to have a one-on-one. Diversity and inclusion is a big theme that comes to mind too. Really an earnest yearning to do better, but not being sure how to do that. So using your knowledge of your audience, one, to guide it. Format-wise, it was a combination. And it's funny how much I learned about how much I notice in other podcasts as a podcast junkie myself that I didn't notice before. Like the idea of having acts, act one, act two, and act three. And the format that you use in each one of those acts might be a little bit different. So in my case, what we did is we had, I had killer content for act three 
because we had done in those interviews that, that you said that you love too. I love them also. That was, that was my radio show days. I love that stuff. I love a good NPR. Bring it on. But there was great content there. What I learned is they just didn't want that to be the whole time. It's like, how do you marry that content with a good story? So act one, setting the stage and catching people's attention with the hook for that episode. And it very much was, in that case, what was so fun was taking that serial approach. And the very first thing, when you tuned into the podcast, you heard from the storyteller. And you heard something painful, to be honest. That listening to it, you're like, oh, God, I've dealt with that as a manager. I can barely listen to this, but I want to listen. So you would hear that. And then I was a big part of Act 1 in terms of just setting the stage. And Act 1 was short, I think is very key. Like, get to it. Heard that loud and clear too. Get to the point. I don't have a lot of time. You're going to lose me if you can't frame it in two minutes because I want to move on to act two. And act two, you're hearing a lot about the story. It's like featured storyteller. Well, we did some of that. Some of that was done in act one too. But hearing the story first, once you've heard the story and how it wrapped up, then we I wove in the interviews that we did it was like, I'll use another analogy. If the whole thing was Destiny's Child, the storyteller was Beyonce, and then the interviews became Kelly and Michelle. So like, you had some good backup dancing and backup singing about, okay, and here's some additional anecdotes that other managers face in the context of this story. And it was able to map it together really well. So we were singing a really good song. How did I do there with that analogy? I was just that was great. And I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that there was a Destiny's Child analogy on this podcast. I can't even tell you. I feel like I need to send you something extra just because that's too awesome. Your point hit for sure. I mean, there is definitely, there's the hook, you know, and then, you know, if I was a magician, right, don't they have three stages to every magic act, the prestige, the reveal, that kind of thing. And, and I love that you think about it that way. I know a lot of folks use podcasts if it's just a pure information dump, you know, or a quick hit or... There's podcasts that, speaking corporately now, which is obviously a little bit different than entertainment or otherwise, but sometimes it's straight to the facts or it's a town hall style. And, you know, there's obviously different shows for different needs and different audiences. I think that that's a real key that you hit on there is who's this audience for, you know, and understanding how they're going to consume it. Are they going to be consuming it on that commute? Are they going to consume it at the gym? What are the complexities of environment or what have you that you have to, to get in there? But at the end of the day, it needs to be something compelling and interesting, and they have to know why pretty early. Why am I listening to this? You know, even maybe even especially, but in any type of medium, because time is precious, right? Getting back to the very first point. Yep, exactly. And knowing, I mean, one of the things that I always loved about U Studio was knowing when people were dropping off because that was revealing. You know, if Act One goes well, if they're still on, like, are they making it to Act Two? Right. Well, it's shameless plug, but yeah, that analytic view is, that is unique, you know, because with all of the ways that media can be consumed, there still is across most, and I'm happy to say our platform is an exception to this, but there's kind of a, did they get it? Did they start it? And that sort of ends it kind of thing. So the ability to really get a sense of completion in using that data, how did that feed the feedback loop for y'all? Was it influential, I guess, in the next show? I would assume some sort of examination of success in those types of metrics, not just the people who raise their hand or email and say, oh, I love that. But that implicit validation was a big piece, I imagine, of the produce, measure, evaluate, repeat, or deviate kind of scientific approach that you talked about. 
Yeah, we watched it closely. The hypothesis definitely changed that storytelling would lead to higher engagement and things like that. So we watched if there were drop-offs and there weren't. I saw differences by topic at times, which was great feedback, but not huge. And honestly, hearing from managers directly, like suddenly the emails coming in or seeing it in groups, in workplace groups in this case, the product workplace is what I mean in that case, but seeing people comment about their experience with the series and the platform and wanting more. It was fun. Like I think there was both quantitative and qualitative encouraging feedback that I got, that the team got as a result of doing that too. Also in eagerness, suddenly volunteers came out of the woodwork too. Oh, I want to be on a podcast. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I hadn't seen that before. It does bring me back to, I think the other thing with storytelling is we also, we being all of us, we know that's a skill too. and so. Finding the right storyteller, right topic, right storyteller, and all of those other things too, that that mattered also. And then the art of pulling the story out. You had mentioned something earlier about kind of the different roles that people played on it. And I didn't know starting podcasts, this internal work, (laughs) I feel again, like so naive, like, hello, Tom. I didn't know that there were different roles that would be needed. I had such of a more, without realizing I was taking a traditional approach, I was taking a traditional approach. Being like, okay, well, you know, I know my audience, I know the content, I know how learning happens in other modalities. I did the radio show, therefore, I'll be right about this. These are the resources that you need. I can't underscore enough at least having a showrunner and a producer, those two different roles. A third one, I think that is key is having a script writer. And when it comes back to the storyteller, the reason I bring those up is if you have a showrunner who asks really good questions, who oh, has almost a journalistic type background, which ours did when we hired again, this great partner, Pacific Content, the showrunner, she was invaluable. I could not have done this without her. And with her experience and her past, she was a journalist. Her ability to ask really powerful questions to pull the story out and to start to hear there's what they're saying. There's the story and the story behind the story, if that makes sense. As an executive coach, that it became clear to me really fast because when I'm working with clients, there's what the client's saying and there's the need and the emotion behind it and being able to pull that out. And she was masterful at that. And when we would start tag teaming interviews together to do that, she had the journalistic perspective. I had the internal knowledge perspective. Be like, oh, that's interesting. Let's ferret down that hole. And even for people who might not have storytelling as a natural skill, we still got really good stories from it. Pacific content, yes. Remind me again where they're located? They're in Canada. I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but could you talk a little bit about sort of how you load balance that thing? Obviously, there's experts in that team. You had a vision. Now it was time to execute that, and and you engaged that firm. I'm curious, from strategy to execution, how how did you pass the baton? There's the way we did it and the way I would do it going forward, if that makes sense. So the tension that I had to navigate was, I have got to get this launched. I need to incorporate this feedback. Doing a test, getting it right, all of that stuff, that takes time. And so I think that it's the classic analogy that we all hear as business people. There's three words, good, fast, and cheap. You can have two of them. I really got to the point where I'm like, it's got to be good and it's got to be fast. We're the two that I picked. Not to say, I don't want to say that it wasn't 
I'm not implying dollars. I just want to be clear about that. When I say cheap that way, it's like cheap in terms of my time, I think was the resource. Like we're going to have to dedicate time. The cost is the time it's going to take to get it good and fast in this time period. That really was the currency. Cost-wise, I didn't feel it was bad actually at all. So we started with what we got really clear on the story, like back to the hook. What are we trying? What is the ultimate hook here? What's the ultimate stories we want to tell? We looked at the topics then. What are the topics we want to cover? What do we already have? And if we could wave a magic wand and tell a great story about each of these, what would we tell? And then we went on the hunt for storytellers. I had very clear marching orders from the showrunner. Bring me a storyteller that can tell that story. I would go find the storyteller and come back. It was more, gosh, what I recommend to other folks out there rolling out internal podcast and external podcast. Don't be in this place. It's doable. Here's the good news. I did it. (laughs) I have some bruises on my back from doing it this way too. It's really hard when you're starting to release, like you're working on next week's episode is the same time you're releasing this week's, meaning you got the storyteller and you got to get next week's storyteller and you're continuing to do that. That's what I mean with time as a currency that gets intensive. I think the ideal way is once you've, that's so clear to me now, once you've fleshed out what the overall audience cares about, the story you're looking to tell, what your hook is, identify all those storytellers in advance before you are even close to launching. Get their stories, feel really good about the stories, and at least get ahead of the game four to six weeks. If not for the whole season, you could definitely do it that way too. So that when you launch, you're not under the gun of still executing. You're still not trying to complete the rest of the season at the same time. That you're just launching and like clockwork, people have expectations with podcasts. Like if you hook me, I better be getting something new on a regular cadence or you're going to lose me. The time pressure was I knew once we launched, we had to get content out on a regular basis. That also led to another important decision that I had to make is, is this an always on podcast or is this seasonal? Internally, for me, for sure, I would definitely answer this for florosity with the podcast I want to do too. Seasonal, always on. I love it. There's a a podcast externally. This American Life is one that I love. That's an always on podcast. I dig it. That takes a dedicated team to keep that going. And that's their job. For me as a small business owner now, and me as a owner within a big company, I have other jobs. I have other things going on. So seasons let me focus, wrap it up, learn, check in with the audience and repeat the process and come back with another season later. And I didn't know that going in. I honestly, I genuinely at the time knew too. I'm like, I don't know if this will be always on or seasons. Let's see. So clear to me now for that, those reasons, it needed to be a season. So we repurposed the plane as we were flying it. How's that for an analogy? Yeah, no, that's good. And, and, and again, it comes down to what is the content? What is the format? Putting the old measure twice, cut once kind of approach means a lot. And I think that it probably pops up a, a lot of places throughout a program. If you have someone or maybe a collective of people who firmly have their hand on the, this is the strategy wheel, if you will. And, and of course, good ideas come from everywhere. But I think that we see a lot more success when there is someone who owns it, someone who has a vision, and they help kind of at least establish what the, the medians are, if you will. I'm curious, you said you have a hypothesis, you've mentioned a few times, what was the success criteria that you were going to use to prove your hypothesis true or false and determine 
a second season, a third season, if you were actively endorsing it to other functional areas throughout the company? How did you set up that success criteria? Gosh, it was complicated. There were some simple metrics and there were some complex ones. So we looked at metrics in four different categories, content, format, channel, and modality. And with the original experiment and test we did, we had clear hypotheses aligned to each of those that would guide us. And we knew, so the test didn't fail, but we didn't pass against all of those metrics. So content passed as an example and modality passed, meaning people liked the content, people liked podcast. And based on the responses that we got to survey data against those podcasts and then looking at metrics in the platform, we could confirm, yep, there's clear conclusions you can draw that those passed. Format, as an example, didn't pass because it was like they didn't like the talk show format. When we launched, we still kept watching those same factors. We updated those hypotheses. I kept testing for environment, but the environment we used was Studio. So that's like, okay, how are people responding to the Studio experience and tracking that also? So we continued to watch the same things, those same metrics, the metrics associated with those same dimensions, I should say, from the experiment. But then we also just looked at the basic things like, okay, are people listening to them? What's the reaction? One thing that I didn't do, not because I didn't know better. It was literally like that, okay, that's unfortunately going to be something that hits the cutting room floor, is that we did not launch a survey immediately upon launch. We were out of time, and I would definitely recommend that. I would definitely do that going forward. I knew that at the time it was painful to have to ruthlessly prioritize that out over good and fast. We got to get this out. That's more important. And knowing that we would have good data behind the scenes in Studio helped a lot. But that was essentially it. The upfront data, that upfront test, that was the most powerful. And we worked with an analytics team. So I had a analytics cross-functional team that supported us that I used across a variety of projects that was invaluable, just invaluable. And not just thinking about traditional learning metrics that learning people would think of in that case, but more like, hey, do we know that people actually are applying what they're learning? Or do we know that this moves other business metrics like performance, as an example? We did not do that after launch, but across projects, I'm just kind of speaking in general, I would look at things like that. As we've mentioned, you've left to Facebook recently to start Florosity. Yep. Florosity. The state of flourishing. An executive training company, is that correct? Yeah, we do coaching and leadership development with a focus on managers. So I'm curious, a lot of customers that we talk to, you know, they're building internal business cases for podcasting because it is still creeping and moving into the corporate world, but it came from the consumer world, not unlike chat or other social platforms and things like that. A company like Facebook that is has so much on metrics and things like that. I'm curious, were you guys building a sort of an ROI view to cost justify, or was this the kind of thing that kind of fell into a different type of that's a question we get a lot. And I'm just curious as to customer how how you sort of tackled that internally. ROI, eventually, I would have wanted to do that. I think it's important, particularly with how business in the world is today, for there to always be space to innovate, where it's as long as you have some clear guiding principles, those hypotheses, those experiments and all that, and you know if you're on the right track, I think first you just have to be allowed to play in the space of innovation and learn as you go. It's like the ROI is a slow building case versus a, we predict if we do this, we're going to save $40 million. It wasn't to that point yet. And again, like if I go back to the, to the beginning, 
what I was ultimately measuring was what's the ultimate impact of the system of the full collection going down the runway and then knowing within that, okay, when they wore the hoodie, this changed. When they put on the sweatshorts, this changed. Oh, and they got the suit. Yeah, that worked. So it's looking at the effectiveness really of each of those tools. In a perfect world, I had started to get there and where if you asked me, I would definitely want to do this now with Florosity and with other companies that I work with know the effectiveness of all of your channels. So I can tell you, for example, with a different study I was involved with in a past life, that I knew for sure that knowledge increased by three times when people listened to video, because that was a full psychometric study that we did around that. Knowing that same type of data, so this is how much knowledge goes up, this is how much comfort level goes up, this is how much one that I care about, application. That's great that you learned something. Are you actually doing something about it? looking at those for each of your channels. So this is what you can expect from a newsletter. This is what you can expect from video, from a podcast, from the classroom, from peer to peer, learning from peers, from learning on the job. That is utopia, like really understanding. It's almost like a doctor, right? You'd come in with your white lab coat, your checklist. You're like, yep, I'm going to prescribe these things based on the changes I need to see. You need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, go. We find it, it comes back also to the overall purpose. You know, Is it sales enablement? Well, that's something that is probably born a little bit more in pure what comes out the bottom of the proverbial funnel and what is the engagement level like through those folks who are seem to be kind of have a little bit of an edge on the rest of the field. Are they engaging? Is it, is, are, they, are they taking advantage of the resources? And, and now is podcasting one of those resources? If it's training, obviously, you spoke to that very eloquently. If it's internal comms, that might speak to the culture. And then what value does a business put on a culture? That's, you know, of course, that's very subjective and what have you. This has been an amazing conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. I want to check with the two most important people on this thing, Zoe, as I introduced in the beginning. Zoe, what did I forget to ask that I should have asked or did we not touch on that we might want to double click on here before we jump off? Well, just out of curiosity, I have a few things I'm interested about hearing. You know, you mentioned the idea of knowledge increase with video. Do you guys experiment with video podcasting at all? Or is that something that you're planning to do? I didn't, but other groups definitely were. Yeah. Another thing is just, you know, this whole conversation, we we talked about the importance of knowing your audience. What advice do you have for others who are struggling to really form a content strategy around their audience? Just what research did you took place in y'all's plan to really get to know the audience? Oh, gosh. At its simplest form, it's putting your audience's needs at the very center of everything. So in general, I have a corporate, uh, another company that I'm working with right now, a big corporate engagement, and it is starting exactly at that same place. It's, it's understanding the audience first before developing a damn thing. And that classic combination of surveys, interviews, and focus groups in that case is the approach where from a fluorosity perspective, I'm learning a ton about this specific audience in all three of those ways that is accelerating. Actually, I had forgotten just how quickly <laughs> in learning without a completely new company, how quickly you can learn a lot there. That's one thing. 
Another thing, because I was such, gosh, it doesn't was, I am such an expert in the manager space, I'm keenly aware of the moments and mindset shifts that happen. And I built a recipe card is what I would call it. I keep using that term because people are like, oh, I kind of get it, where I literally mapped out kind of the life cycle of a manager and what they go through in all of those different moments and was starting to map what I was hearing to things, to that living, breathing, hissing list. I think where focus groups can be helpful is then before you do anything, you can kind of bounce ideas off like, hey, does this resonate? Like, hey, is this tracking? I don't think it's a one and done either. I think you have to revisit the conversation at least twice a year, if not quarterly, to be like, hey, what's changed? At the rate of change that business is changing, it really could change in a quarter. Yeah, we wanted to you know, really focus on leading through change this quarter, but next quarter, we sorry, it's change, we've got to focus on managing ambiguity. Like, God, how do we do that? Help our managers. We got to talk about that. I think you have to ruthlessly prioritize. And I can't stress that enough. You can't do it all. Like do a couple things right and learn from them. If you try to swallow the watermelon, we know what happens. One bite at a time. Last thing I would say is while it was painful to do this, it was a great exercise is myself and some colleagues, once we understood the needs and everything we wanted to cover, we objectively looked at, okay, based on that specific need, could that be an infographic? Is that it? That seems pretty knowledge-based. Like, could that just be an infographic and that's all? Oh, gosh, for that one. Oh, and that one, that is clearly, that's like a day. That's a full classroom thing. Oh, the other thing, that, that could be an article. Or, oh, yeah, that made good sense for digital and other things, whether that's a video or podcast. So being very intentional about how the channel that you're picking, the modality you're picking is serving your audience's needs and the content you're trying to get to them, if that makes the most sense. I guess another thing that I would say that I am just a big personal believer of, and you are, you're going to hear kind of coach and consultant and podcast, you know, producer, all three of those things in me when I say this. As a coach, I would tell you that one of the philosophies of coaching is the client has to want to change and the client is resourceful. So meaning actually the things that we struggle with, we do have the answer. We've had it all along. The answer is within us. If you can create the right experience and ask the right questions, someone else can help us see the answer that was there. If I put my consultant hat on, I am a huge or my facilitator hat on when I'm doing a leadership dev session or facilitating a session with a group of managers, you have to believe that managers are resourceful and that the wisdom is within the room. And so with those channels that you're picking, how can you pull from your audience where they're not dependent on you to learn? Because that doesn't scale. I can be a complete rock star and I can't be in a thousand places at the same time. How do you get managers learning from each other or your audience learning from itself And that learning is continuing without you. You're building in the practice of learning that's driven by the community. So community-based learning. And then as a podcast producer, I would answer it the same way. I think when we tapped into the, the wisdom within our walls and that you had myself on that podcast and myself on the radio show when I did it, this was a consistent. It wasn't about me. I was the guide. I mean, I was the moderator. And the narrator and the focuser, but I'm not the one imparting the knowledge the community is. So it's really how can you bring your audience's own knowledge going forward 
that's really empowering for people. It gets at those stories and it creates that culture and muscle of learning from each other. So how do you map that into your needs once you have them, I believe is really important. Yeah. And that, that goes back to what you said about how when you launched and people started getting excited, you know, they started volunteering. I want to be, I want to speak on the next episode type thing. So that's great. And you'd hear them reference specific people. Like I'll make up a name. They're like, oh my God, you know, I, I heard Sanjay on that one. And man, I remember that story. Like I was on a cross-functional team when that happened. And God, Sanjay's such a good storyteller. And then, you know, then Sanjay's pinging me and being like, hey, God, my inbox blew up. Like, I just got a couple of messages from people about this. This feels really good. I'm loving this. And so you kind of see that. And it's like a nice, you can probably tell I'm smiling in my voice, just saying it. Just such a nice feel good thing, too. You're like, oh, we're, you're seeing that connection and that familiarity between people form that kind of goes back to the cave people thing. I said, like, yeah, we're sitting around the fire again and telling stories. And you know, the people telling the stories too. So, that was kind of magical. Yeah, that's awesome. So now would you say that at this point, a lot of people who are speaking are volunteers or is it a good mix of both? I don't know now. I mean, this is where, you know, from my perspective, in the words of Natasha Bedingfield, the rest is still unwritten. Season one was what I was responsible for in my prior life. And that successfully completed and launched. What's done with season two? I mean, that's that's for the team to figure out. I have so much in my brain from it. I think regardless if we were talking about an internal podcast or an external podcast, if your season one goes well and your launch goes well, people are naturally going to sign up. I think you have to remain committed to the story you're trying to tell. So if you're a people pleaser, you're going to have to manage those tendencies. Be like, sure, you can be on it. And you get on it. You're like, wait a minute. Do you have a story? (laughs) Does this relate to the topic at all? You still have to keep that in mind. What's the topic? What's the hook? Does the story map that? Let's flesh the story out. Okay, great. You passed the criteria. And another thing I would add is I think it's really important that you keep diversity and inclusion in mind. So a quote that I've always loved is we are a culture of many cultures. And so how each of our communities in life, there's many, 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 many different types of people in it. And it's not even just the types of people from a cognitive diversity perspective. Like, How do you get people that aren't like-minded, that think differently to tell their stories? I'll use a, you know, an example of a job function is one type of diversity that I'm not like because my background is learning and had such a, spent so much of my career in sales and marketing. I learned so much from engineers. And a lot of what I learned from engineers is they would approach the same, we would both approach the same problem very differently. And there's so many cool things I just pull from that approach, which you've heard me probably say the H word so much today, hypothesis. I wouldn't have gotten that from sales necessarily, but oh, you ask an engineer, man, they're going to have a good hypothesis. So it's like, how do you get diversity of thought, diversity of role, diversity of gender, country, age, sexual orientation, political orientation, like all of those things, all the classic diversity examples and more. How are you intentional about that? Where you're like, wow, not only did I tell a good story, but I actually heard the story from a perspective I'm not used to hearing. And I learned from that, that pushed me. That's part of the magic too. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to be respectful of your time. So I don't have much else. 
Well, Tom, this has been awesome and we really appreciate it. I have no doubt that Fluorosity will be a magnificent success. And I, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us and, and being as, as candid as you've been. Added a couple of great analogies to my arsenal, which will be revisited, I can guarantee that. And for sharing with us sort of, you know, how you took podcasting internally to the training needs of Facebook and then beyond now with what you're planning in, in the future. And you studio got to go along for that ride. And we appreciate it. I'm sure our customers and others would be really interested to, to hear about sort of how you thought about the hypothesis, setting it up, planning for success, and, and then working that plan and, and finding great partners to distribute that load across. It's very interesting. I, like I said, when we talked a couple of months ago, when I was at your offices, I just really love the mental picture that telling stories really communicates so much. And, and I love that idea. But also, you know, maybe stories isn't the format for every problem doesn't need the same solve or, or same solution. And so understanding your audience, so key to that, and whether it's surveys or, or user groups, or just having some good conversations to make sure that you're building content that will resonate and will accomplish the goal. And so anyways, so, so interesting, so cool. And, and thanks a lot for spending time with us. My pleasure. Happy to come back. Happy to chat with folks that have questions about hypotheses and all of those things. These are topics that I love. So my pleasure.